0: So here we are in this Christmas season, and we know that, again, this year has had its its fill of ups and downs, and yet we welcome this Christmas season with open arms. And, And you know, I, I don't know how it's been in your house, but I know in our house, the Christmas decorations went up a little earlier this year, right, than in, in years past. And I think, in some ways, we were just home more, right, so we were able to have an extra time, but but at the same time, like, we're also so excited to usher in right some hope. Right? And and as as we think about that, right, um, we we are in need of some hope, of some joy, of the warm feelings that come with the Christmas season. We need to experience something real and something that we can know that brings change to our world. Because whether it's a pandemic or or tensions and around the country or whatever it would be, we realize more this year than any other that, that our world is in desperate need of change. Right, and, and when we see that, we again can find all of this, the hope, the joy, the warm feelings, even the change that our world needs, we can find all of it in the Christ child. And this is, again, the theme for Our Christmas season this year is to experience the world changer, because the truth is that Jesus changes everything. Our theme verse for this series comes out of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. It says, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And as we work our way through this Christmas season, as we get closer to Christmas, we're going to take each description given here in this verse of the Christ child, and we're going to explore how Jesus fulfills this role in our lives and in our faith journey and in our world. Now, last week, we started Advent with the candle of hope and And it was for us a celebration Sunday, and we saw how God truly is a wonderful counselor, how he guides us and shows us the way to go in our lives and the next steps to take in our journey. We heard three journey stories last week, and we, we saw how God had guided Crystal and David and Vera in their faith journeys, and how he does the same for everyone if they truly pursue Christ. And through his love, he transforms us to be more like him with every step forward. And now today, we are going to look at the next description in this verse, and that is our mighty God. And as we look at, again, this, this mighty God, it's, it's, again, easy for us to look backwards at Christmas so from this, this New Testament perspective of we are living, again, in the you know, in, in the, the church, this last season of God's plan. And, and in fact, we have oftentimes asked that question this year, haven't we? Like, is, is this when Jesus is going to come back? Like, is this what the end times are going to look like? And again, you know, we don't know when Jesus is going to come back, but we do know we're closer now than we've ever been before. Okay, and as we look at that, and you know, we have all of these kinds of questions. But again, it's easy for us to look back at Christmas and, and to know that this verse is describing Jesus. But take for a moment, though, and just think about the original audience of this prophecy. Again, Isaiah is one of the Old Testament prophets. A prophet was someone in that time that that would hear messages, receive messages from God, and and their role as a prophet was to then deliver those messages to to uh, the intended audience. And, And again, for these major prophets like Isaiah, he was speaking to the entire nation of Israel. And you think about their perspective when they read this verse or heard it for the first time. Again, it's easy for us to look back at Christmas and say, yes, that definitely was Jesus. But but think about them, who this prophecy was originally written to, and what would they take from it? Again, this verse was written 700 or so years before the birth of Jesus. And these were some dark times for the nation of Israel. We can probably relate, can't we? In fact, a lot of Isaiah, as we look at the book as a whole, a lot of it's pretty dark. It describes a lot of struggle. In fact, this next year, we're going to dive into Isaiah a little deeper. We're going to do a whole message series on Isaiah. We're going to learn a lot about the letter. But but to say, again, a lot of it is... um, it's pretty dark. I mean, it describes some very dark times, but then we, here we arrive at chapter 9, and, and then Isaiah starts to reveal the coming light, right? The hope that comes with the Messiah. Again, this, this biblical word here that's used for mighty, and this phrase mighty God, it, it, it implies a hero. I mean, we think about, again, something that's mighty, and, and this the connotations of this Hebrew word is it is a mighty god and a god who is mighty to save a god who is mighty to change and transform and and a god that that has the the intention of redeeming his creation from the sin that we get so easily entangled in but unlike the heroes of today the ones that we see in movies and comics god's love is unfailing and his grace reaches into the deepest darkness to rescue us from our sins. And that's the real message of Christmas, isn't it? Or is it that God sent a Messiah right through this baby boy. who was born in humble means. So... As we look at this and again we know that again Jesus fulfills the, this prophecy and, and many hundreds of other prophecies that were given, you know, hundreds and thousands of years before he was born. And and again, that's the way that I again mean, God was proving to the nation of Israel and to all those around that, that this really was the Messiah. And and we, we as we look at that, but you know, that Jesus becomes this this mighty hero and this divine presence within our world, but but, but what sets Jesus apart from other heroes? As we look at that today, I just want to point out some different ways we see in Scripture that Jesus fulfills this description of of mighty hero God. The first thing is this, is that Jesus, again, is the mighty hero that was born as prophesied. As you say, there's all these prophecies that were given even hundreds of thousands of years before the Messiah was given about God's plan to redeem his creation. I mean, this story truly starts in Genesis, right? Where where we see Adam and Eve and and they're they're walked and talked in an unhindered relationship with God in the garden. But then sin entered the world. and, And from that point on, right, this plan of redemption started. And God, again, was, was, has this plan of, of how to redeem his creation and, and to, to, to restore the relationship that was broken. We see here in Isaiah this, this one of the most famous prophecies, again, of looking forward to the Messiah. And again, we see how Jesus, again, was born into and fulfilled all of these prophecies. Not just in the Old Testament prophets, but we also see, again, the, the events that were surrounded his birth. I mean, as we look at, at part of the, the, the Christmas story within Scripture, we see in, in the Gospel of Luke, right, as it describes this night that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and it says, suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Again, this Christ child was born with a heavenly chorus. I don't right? if we can imagine again the shepherds that were there on that hillside that night in Bethlehem, and 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 again, as all of creation, as all of the heavenly realms are celebrating at the birth of the Messiah, the plan has finally come to fruition. Right, and the angels themselves, right, were sent to to show this world that the plan has finally started. Right, the child has been sent. He, God put on flesh and has now been born in Bethlehem. Jesus is the mighty hero that, that was born just as he was prophesied. Right, that he fulfilled everything that had been foretold. As, but then he's here, and, and again, we know the person of Jesus that the reason this is such a big deal, why we celebrate the season of this Christ child, because again, he was just like any other child in, in that he was a baby that cried and that I had to grow up and learn and, and and develop and 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 live in this world. But yet what's special about this child is that he grew up to live a sinless life. Right? That that he he turned into this man that that showed us who God is that taught us all kinds of lessons about the kingdom of heaven and and about where we stand with God and and how what being saved really looked like and how we get restored and 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 again he grew up to die on a cross and when he died on that cross again there's some a very significant phase of this plan, this plan of redemption, that comes through the Christ child. That He is also the mighty hero that that tore the veil. He's a mighty hero that that tore the veil. Now, again, you know, what's what's the veil, and why does it matter? Right in, in Israel, in Jerusalem, there was the the temple. All right now, this temple was built after. Um, in, in the same way that that originally we were given the tabernacle by Israel as they traveled around, and then when they settled in the promised land, then then King Solomon built the temple, this permanent place for God to dwell. And, and and as we as we think about this this idea of the temple, and again in the center of the temple was this room called the Holy of Holies. And within this room, this was literally where God's presence. Was I mean? This was in that room. Was the Ark of the Covenant, and 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 again, it's it's where God lived, where His presence was at. It was again the most holiest place on the planet because God was there. Hence the name, right? The Holy of Holies. And again, in the Old Testament. tells us that due to to our sin, to human sin, that there was a veil that hung in the temple. And this veil, this is a thick curtain that that separated the Holy of Holies from from the rest of the world. Because this earthly dwelling place of God, again, was, was holy and the world is fallen because of sin. And and again, this veil represents the separation that happens because of our sin. Again, we see that this this veil, this separation, this this earthly dwelling place of God and his presence, it's separated then from the rest of the temple where the people went about their everyday activities. And this curtain represents that humanity, again, was separated by God because of our sin. And this is, again, the, the core of the gospel message. This is why we need a Savior at the very beginning, right? And, and which is what we are told in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. It says, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard." See, because, again, God is holy. He is perfect. He is unblemished, and, and which means that, again, just his, that's who he is. It's a part of his character, which means he can't be in the presence of sin, And it breaks that relationship. That's why Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden after they sinned. For we all have sinned. We are all separated. And this veil was a a representation of the separation that was there. They had to remain there because of our sin. And in fact, this, this whole temple was a foreshadowing of the gospel story. And how God had this plan in place to redeem his creation. Again, God directed for the temple to be built and, and for the Holy of Holies to be the center of it because to represent how much God wants to be with his creation. That's what God desires more than anything else, right? because God is love and God wants to be in relationship with us. And even though he was a holy God, right, that could be in the presence of, a, of sin and, and fallen humans, but yet he, he desired this temple to be built so that he could be as close to us as he could be, because that's who God is. He's full of love for us. Again, everything that was done in the temple, from the animal sacrifices were brought into the temple to show how our sin needs to be atoned for. And atoned is the fancy theological word for for the price being paid. Right? That God's presence was in the, the center of of it, but separated, the, the animal sacrifices that we see that, that again show that our sin needs to be paid for. And then there's this veil. And this veil showed why we need a Messiah. Right? Because even with all of God's love, with, with even our desire to be with God, we are still separated because of our sin. And until that price is paid, Right? That veil is there. Again, this veil was, was enormous. I mean, just physically large. It was estimated to be in about 60 feet high, four inches thick. Right? Because if God is in the presence of sin, then, again, his character takes over, right? And his presence takes over, and it, it will literally, the, right? The wages of sin is death. In fact, only one person went into the Holy of Holies once a year, Okay, and that was the high priest. And the high priest had to go through these, this long purification ceremony to be able to make sure that, again, he was 100% pure, to even to be able to go into the room and make sure that, that everything was still situated the way it needed to be and that it was the, you know, excellence for God. And, and, and if he didn't go through the, the ritual the right way and to go in there once a year to check on it, if he went in there, then he would literally die in the presence of God. Because God is holy, and we are falling. Again, this was a dangerous task every year. And yet, again, Jesus is the hero, right, that came and tore the veil. We see this, again, when he died on the cross, when he went through all that, and he paid the penalty. Once, the, once we were atoned for, that, that sin was paid for, we see in Matthew chapter 27, verses fifteen fifty one, 51, that describes what happens when Jesus actually dies. That cross. He says, then Jesus shouted out again and he released his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split apart, and tombs opened. Can you imagine? Right, as the people around, and even, right, I mean, we see that description of, of the Easter story, right? When when Jesus dies on that cross, and I mean, there's earthquakes, there's tombs opening, all is happening, and in the center of the temple, right, this veil gets ripped in two. And the Holy of Holies is suddenly exposed to the world. And this, again, is so representative Representational of the gospel story of of why the Messiah came because he came to that's exactly why he came, right? To restore that relationship between God and his creation. And as soon as Jesus dies in that pain or that through the pain, through the suffering, through the the spilling of the blood, through everything we celebrated in communion when we took it today, right? Because of all of that, the veil gets torn and God's presence is no longer, you know. stuck in the Holy of Holies, but now that veil's torn and that separation is gone. Right? What sets Jesus apart? He is the hero that, that tore the veil, right? that, that made relationship with God possible for us as humans again. And we see again, how, how could Jesus even do this? Right? Because Jesus is the mighty hero that has unlimited authority. We see that, that Jesus, again, was 100% human. Like I said, he was a baby just like every other baby, and, and he, he was tempted in all the way that we were tempted. I mean, he was a God that knows what, now what it's like to be human and to live in this fallen world and to have struggles and, and, and to, to, to not, you know, to feel what it's like to live in this dark world. But yet, he's also a God that was 100% divine. He was 100% God, and, and with that comes the authority of God. Back right, to where he can take this complicated equation and he can solve it once and for all. Right, he is my hero that has unlimited authority. Right, to, to, to look at this, I want to turn to Mark chapter 4. His story in the Gospels uh, in Mark 4, 35 through 41. So if you have your Bible, you can... Uh, Turn with me to, uh, to Mark chapter 4. And this is a story where Jesus is, is with his disciples, um, and he's teaching the crowds, and then um, he instructs them to, to get in a boat and move on and kind of to get away from the crowd. So we're going to pick up here Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Hopefully you have your Bible with you. You can open with me as we read the story. If you don't have your own Bible with you, their Bible is provided for you in the seats, and you'll see the, the page number there. If you're with us online, hopefully you can open up your Bible and follow along here. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. It says, As the evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. And so they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. And Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. So the disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? And when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be silent. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. As we look at this this story. I mean, there's a lot going on here, and, and we see, again, this interaction between Jesus and his disciples, and we see, again, that Jesus was the one that directed them. Let's get in the boat and move to the other side, and then here they end up in this storm, right? And you can imagine the feelings that they have, even as they wake up Jesus. Basically, they're asking Jesus, like, why don't you even care? Why did you lead us into this storm, Jesus? Right? And as they wake him up, again, we but yet we also see kind of the, the human side of Jesus here, right? That he had to sleep, right? He was tired. He was physically tired. I mean, he understands what it's like to struggle through things in life. And, and again, we hit those storms, don't we? But we also see the divine part of Jesus, right? They wake him up, and Jesus not just rebukes the wind and the waves, but he also rebukes the disciples, doesn't he? But as he just wakes up, and, he, and again, he calms the storm. We we see this, though, once once he calms the storm and and we see that ultimate authority that comes from Jesus and even his power over creation and over the world. And then he rebukes the disciples in verses 40 and 41, because then he asks them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? it's interesting, right, that Jesus calls them out for being afraid. And then the next line, right, the disciples were terrified. He says, and they say, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? Again, this was where they get this glimpse of, of the ultimate authority that Jesus has. Not just over creation, but over everything. Again, if anybody could solve the problem, any problem we have, it's Jesus. Right? Because he is a hero and has unlimited authority. Not just over the wind of waves, but over all of creation. And guess what? We are a part of that creation. Which means he has authority over us too. Right? As we realize that, again, look at these questions that he asked the disciples. The first question is, why are you afraid? why are you afraid? Do you know who I am? Do you realize everything I've been teaching you? Do you know that I'm the mighty God? And I love you more than you can imagine. Why, why are you afraid? You don't have to be afraid. Right, and why do we not have to be afraid? It, which leads to the next question, right? The next question is, well, so... Do you still have no faith? I mean, we don't have to be afraid if we have faith. And Jesus is saying, he's like, that's what I'm trying to get you to see. Not only do I have not just unlimited authority, right, and power over the waves and the storms of life, but but I have authority over whatever you face, and I even have authority over you, and and if your faith is in me, then you don't have to be afraid of anything. And anything that comes at us, it doesn't matter what the storm is. And we all face lots of storms, don't we? Right, but we don't have to be afraid of the storm. We get to go through the storm. Because guess what? The Messiah's in our boat. Right, and even if he leads us into the storm, he will lead us out of the storm because he is the mighty hero that has unlimited authority. One of the reasons, again, that We have to face both of these questions, is because God hasn't completely finished the job of redemption yet. His plan isn't over. Right? Because Jesus is also the mighty hero that will return again. And we're still in the middle of his plan, right? Of redemption. It's it's not here. It's not done yet because Jesus has not come again. We see here in Acts chapter one, verses nine through eleven. Yeah, and this is after Jesus has, has risen again, and then this is when he's met with his disciples and all these other people, and then now he has ascended to heaven, okay, which is ushers in this, this next plan of his, uh, or the next season of his plan, right, of redemption, and that is the season of the church, and it's still the same season we're in, it started with the apostles. Right here, we see right after Jesus ascends, says after saying this, he was taken up in a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. And as they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white road men suddenly stood among them and said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Again, there's a lot about the end times that we don't know. Right? There is so much in scripture that is Vague. Right? But as we look at that, though, what we do know is that he is coming again. Right? And we also know that God wins. Again, I believe the main reason why Jesus hasn't already come back is to give more time for more people to be saved. And this, once again, shows how much God loves us, how full of grace and mercy he really is. Again, we are celebrating that the mighty God was born as prophesied He's the hero that tore the veil and that gave men and women free access to himself, to the forgiveness of sins through through his blood and through his death and his resurrection. Again, he is the mighty hero that has the ultimate authority, and he will return again. And those are all true; those are all things that to be celebrated. But there's one left. For those are following that line, you know, there's one filling left, isn't there? Right? It's the one that goes, encompasses all of those. It's, it's the cherry on top. Okay? And that is that Jesus is the mighty hero that changes everything. There is nothing that Jesus touches that isn't changed. When you encounter Jesus, the real Jesus, right? not the watered-down, convenient, make-me-feel-good Jesus, but the real Jesus, The one who loves you more than you can imagine, but also the one that loves you enough to discipline you and to convict your heart and to transform you into a new person. When you encounter that Jesus, you will never be the same. Again, if you are a committed follower of Jesus, think about how much your life has changed since you joined the journey of faith. If you are already a follower of Jesus, think about how much your life has changed since you first joined the journey of faith. And if you can't come up with at least a few ways of how your life has changed, then I've got some hard news for you. Right? And that news is that your journey's not going anywhere. Right? That you might be stalled out in your faith. That you might just be camping in your faith. And that's not what this Jesus mighty hero wants for you. Right? Because if we just encounter the watered down, convenient, make me feel good Jesus, then you're not going to be changed. But if you are a committed follower Jesus, think about how your life has been changed. And as we think about that and ponder that thought, I want to, to end with looking at this passage from 1 Peter chapter 2. Verses 21 through 25. First Peter 2, starting at verse 21, it says, For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. Because he is our example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. Because by his wounds, we are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. By his wounds you are healed. Again, everything we celebrate in communion today, right? Everything that sets the Christ child apart from every other baby. So when we think about that, right? We see here in verse 25. And we realize that once we were like sheep who had wandered away. Again, if, you're, if you can't put your finger on what's changed in your life following Jesus, then Maybe you've wandered away. Once you, we've all wandered away. But now, turn to your shepherd. Because he's the guardian of your soul. And as we think about this, and, and think about, again, this Jesus, this Christ child, this mighty hero. Have you wandered away? Have you just camped in your faith? What are you afraid of? Do you have faith? I don't know where you are in your journey, but this Christ child, Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas, wants to change everything in you. And this Christmas, I hope that you will truly experience the mighty hero, right? The world. Changer, the real Jesus. God, I don't know where you're at in your faith journey today, but I hope that you have first received Christ as your Savior. Have you joined the journey of faith? If you never have, then you can pray and accept him right now, today. Right? Invite him into your life. Confess those sins. Ask for that forgiveness and, and say, Jesus, I want to be changed. I know that, that Christ child was sent to change the world, but I need, it starts with us. Or you can receive Christ your Savior. And even if you have already prayed and accept Him, but again, is He truly your shepherd? Are you turning Him? What are you afraid of? Where's your faith? Even if you've wandered away, it's one step back because the shepherd is right there. Which brings me to my final thought this morning, and that is this The Christ child is truly the greatest gift this world would ever receive because He is the mighty hero that we need in our journey story. So how are you experiencing Jesus this Christmas season? I hope that you're experiencing the real Jesus. Again, if, if you're not, if you realize you're not, then either join the journey of faith, receive him as your Savior, or again, commit to, to submitting to his authority in your life right, and being transformed by him. Take the next step of your journey, whatever that might be. And God, we thank you that you are a God who stays God, that you're a God that wants to be with us. God, and you paid the price, Lord, to continue the plan of redemption to, to restore our relationship with you. And God, we thank you that you sent the mighty hero, Jesus, through this Christ child. God, to live a life on this earth, God, to understand what it's like to be human. And God, you, you stay in our life even when we push you away. Lord, you pursue us even when we don't even want to believe in you. God, please forgive us for that today. God, as we celebrate the real Jesus this Christmas season, God, we pray, God, that you would truly transform us. God, from wherever we've been, Lord, help us to become what you need us to be in our own faith and in shining this light in in this dark world. God, we put our faith in you and we are not afraid. We praise you for that today. Lord, guide us as we go, as we live at our faith every day, we move forward in our journey every day. God, and shine your life every day in this world. We love you. Guide us as we go. In Jesus' name.